Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And back in May, when COVID-19 was still the dominant force in the news cycle, uh, I had the chance to talk to two people from the Atlanta History Center, where their entire team has been finding ways to capture information and artifacts related to the pandemic to ensure that future generations have access to a really robust record of this unique time. Uh, We mentioned this collection project pretty briefly in one of our previous episodes, but Holly got in touch and asked if they would like to talk at more length about this effort, as well as what it's like to figure out how to keep a living history museum going and fulfilling its whole mission when you have to be closed to the public. And so this first interview is with Sheffield Hale, the president and chief executive officer of the Atlanta History Center. And Sheffield and I talked about everything from the History Center's living collection to how the pandemic is going to impact the way workforces function in the future. So here is Sheffield. So Sheffield, my co-host and I have spoken on the show about the points where each of us realized that this pandemic was happening at a level that was going to directly impact our daily lives. But I'm curious what that moment is like from an institutional perspective where staff and community are significant factors to think about. Like, when did you realize that this was going to fundamentally change business operations for the History Center? I guess it's probably the Friday that we closed. I finally realized it. It was sort of like a slow motion roll of watching this happen across the country, watching other museums, not wanting to be the first, not wanting to be the last, trying to gauge public opinion of the safety of your staff first. And uh, it's it reminds you a little bit of a, um, a when we see that snow coming right for a snow day. Yeah. You're, you're trying to figure it out and you're watching what everybody else is doing. And then all of a sudden there's this big rush and everybody gets in their car and they leave and there's a traffic jam. Well, that's what happened um, with, in terms of people closing. Uh, did the History Center already have a disaster plan in place? I know they have them in place, but one that would cover a situation like a pandemic? Or did you guys have to put a plan together to deal with this kind of as it was happening? We did it on on the fly in some respects. Um, We had a plan for remote working because we had a plan that the campus was closed. Um, It wasn't because of a pandemic, or it could have been because of power outages, which we have a lot of in Atlanta, Um, because in a lot of trees around there, or a tornado, or a hurricane, some extended period of time, or there had been a loss of a building. So we had redundant systems for... uh, all the technology for all everything that we store, all of the, the data, the information um, that we have, we had all that. So it really worked well for a pandemic because what all that is is working remotely. Um, and so we, but we operated on the flies. You know, we went to you're going from seventy to zero, <laughs> and and then it's like, well, we can all work from home now. What do we do? Right. Um, and how can we be productive? And that was what we had to really improvise at the time. And uh, and I, I'm really pleased and proud of what came out of it. Um, what are the steps involved for closing a place like the History Center for an unknown period of time? Because there are a lot of different types of collections there. There are a lot of events that happen there, et cetera. What preparations have to be made so that everything can be taken care of when most of the staff is not on site? So... 
the the events started, you know, cl- you know, canceling one after another. There are a few, you know, weddings that were in May that um, it took a while for people to for reach reality in terms of, you know, acceptance. Of course. You have to go through the stages of grief there um, in June. But we were able to work through all those and rebook most of those. And, um, and most everybody was understanding about that. In terms of the museum itself, we've got to keep it, you know, you know, we've got to keep the security. We've got to keep the humidity, the air conditioning and all that going on for the artifacts both in our archives, but also in the, in the museum itself, our historic houses. Then we have living collections. We have goats and sheep and turkeys and and uh, Rhode Island red chickens that all have to be fed and um, and they have to stalls have to be cleaned. Um, all that has to happen uh, during the pandemic. And then we have the other living collections, all of the flowers and uh, plants that have to be tended to. Um, so we had to work out a way for our gardeners to be socially distant when they were, you know, coming back and use their own tools. I mean, we went through this whole elaborate uh, criteria of, uh, you know, looking around the country and at other botanical gardens, figure out what they were doing. Uh, were there any special things that you had to do for the living collections? I'm very worried about the animals. <laughs> I want to make sure they're all good. Well, we made sure we had redundancy in terms of who knew how to feed them and how much mm-hmm. and when. Um, and that they didn't meet each other and that, you know, we went through all of this elaborate, you know, you bring your own lunch, you know, bring your own tools, don't use anybody else's tools. So person can use this cart or that cart. These bathrooms are designated for each of you. Um, oh, wow. I mean, you know, it's, we went, you know, it's because it's certain group here, certain group there. So if one group got infected that wouldn't impact the other group. Right. And so, we, you know, we spent, you know, a lot of time figuring that out and you, a lot of it's on the fly and we hadn't been through this, but, you know, that's, a, that's the great thing about having friends all over the country and learning from them and even friends across the street, you know, the Atlanta Botanical Garden, just down the road. So I, in my head, I'm picturing this wild spreadsheet of who can be where, when and use what thing, <laughs> but I'm, I may be um, uh, overthinking that way. No, no, you're not, unfortunately. <laughs> um. I hope you're preserving that wild spreadsheet as part of the the historical record, actually. Like, I legitimately do, because that's one of those things people don't think about that seem maybe mundane and not really part of a pandemic prep, but that's part of how we all get through, right? This is the green potty, and this is the red potty, right? Right. <laughs> what has been the hardest part of all of this? You said you had planned for work from home for very temporary closures, like a power outage, but this is a temporary closure that is longer in length and probably larger in scope than you guys normally have. What's been the biggest challenge? Well, the, the biggest challenge and the biggest hit long term is going to be financially, you know, because if, you know, we had all of these events planned that um, are as part of our, our revenue um, in the spring and the early summer is a is our peak time, you know, for both weddings and, and other other events. And that went away. Now they've been rescheduled, but they're in another fiscal year and they may or may not happen. And if they do happen, they probably happen in smaller groups. Um, so we're having to budget next year based on that. The Swan House Ball has now been postponed till September. We hope we'll be able to have it then. We may not. Uh, we don't know. Um, our biggest event honoring, you know, Lavette Russell, who's just one of the great humans in Atlanta. So that, you know, threw us out. Um, 
and you know, but all those things and, and then admissions and the school tours and all those things interrupted just zero. So on the revenue side, you had that. Now, what we did realize is that we could continue to do our mission in the interim remotely. And, you know, the whole mantra about do not waste a crisis. Um, I bought into that. I'm, you know, completely say, OK, if we're going to be closed, we're going to accomplish a lot. Let's get everything that's done that's on my list. Now, we have no excuses. You know, we're working on a new strategic plan. We've got an interpretive plan, collections plan, collecting plan. Finish them. Now's the time. No more excuses. What can we do in terms of our backlog of uh, veterans oral histories? Let's put the as many people as we can on uh, transcribing those. And so people from the front desk, people you know who are, are helping in that area, we're now transcribing oral histories. And then another group is proofing them, the transcriptions. So we're doing those kinds of things. And the educators who are supposed to be dealing with school kids are now producing videos that we put up online for kids to, to be able to do activities at home. And we'll have those forever. So a lot of that we are able to capture in the, in the last you know two months of the year. And, and but to make sure that we we use the time as effectively as possible, and I've, I've made sure that I've when I first got here, uh, one of the uh, senior people said, "Sheffield, why are you always in a hurry?" And and I've learned that folks in the in the history world a lot of times historically have worked on Jurassic time. <laughs> I, I came out of you know I'm a lawyer, right? So I came out of you know six minute increments on timesheets and, and and dealing with that, and every minute counted. Um, and then I was at the American Cancer Society and we were in a hurry to try to cure cancer and I'm mission driven. And so, you know, we're in a hurry, um, you know, and, and so we're in a pandemic. Great. Now we have time to clear out all that crap that you say you don't have time for. We're going to get it done and we're going to have time to think and it's going to be great. And guess what? It's, it has been very productive. And the, the big surprising thing is how busy we've all been. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, I try to cancel some meeting and just say, well, will you reschedule it for an hour? I mean, they're booked all day, you know, and I understand. It's like, damn, <laughs> you know, and you get off, of, you'll get off of these damn Zoom meetings at, you know, the end of the day. So where did it go? So it's been, it's been really fascinating that way. Uh, that is really interesting. I mean, I, I feel like we have had kind of the same experience in our podcasting. But a lot of that has been because we all started working from home, setting up our own little mini studios and stuff. So we're one of the few kind of media outlets that didn't have to really miss a beat in terms of transition. But it's interesting to hear how quickly your team made that shift and found themselves perhaps busier than ever getting through all of these projects. That's probably got to feel great to get that to-do list checked off. Yeah, I have another list, though. Uh Uh-oh. Sheffield is a whipcracker. Is uh, what no, we're it's, it's, it, no, it's going to feel it is going to feel great. And we are making real progress. And we have made some, you know, we've had a few minor epiphanies along the way. And it's been great. Now, you are, of course, in charge of this large facility and all of its people and its living collections, etc. And how do you balance out managing all of the needs and logistics of the History Center with the needs of yourself and your family at a time that is weird and unprecedented and stressful in ways I think none of us can really prepare for. You know, it, it has been a lot more stressful 
and it manifests us often in different ways than I've anticipated. And it partly because the weather has been so good and everything has been so beautiful. It's been so surreal. You step outside and you say, this can't be, we can't be in a pandemic. It's just too nice. So the, the whole Groundhog Day effect um, is can wear on you. You know, I'm, you know, like I said, I used to, I was practicing law, you know, for a long time and I'm used to highly stressful situations. I'm, I'm used to, uh, you know, ignoring my family and, and being a bad father. Um, but uh, the, the good news is, is that, you know, nobody's home anymore. They're all, you know, in their late twenties and early thirties. And it's just myself, my wife and, and my dog Baxter, who's very thrilled to have me at home all day long. So it's been interesting. I've actually been able to see more of my children um, because we, you know, we feel comfortable, you know, having a mini quarantine pod, but they're not living under my roof. Right. Is the History Center looking back at like their historical knowledge and research about pandemics? This is not the first pandemic to happen to kind of help both the center and the community understand the trajectory of this one and like contextualize what we're living through right now? Well, you know, the first thing that we are doing is we're beginning to collect in, in real time, you know, with our Corona Collective. And a part of that's reflective of the fact that when you look in our collections, there's not much from the 1918 pandemic and flu pandemic. Um, and the, one, the couple reasons for that one, we were founded in 1926. But, but the main reason is that people didn't keep um, ordinary items from that time because it was something they were they got through and they wanted to move on. And also it was the end of the First World War. And, you know, there were other things going on at the same time. And it, people just wanted to push through it. So I think there were a lot of, you know, learnings. You, there's, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of history that's in the newspapers and other places that you can go back and read about. Um, but you're not hearing as much about what happened to ordinary people that might be more instructive as to how, for example, practices may change in the future as a result of this. We all assume that, you know, our world has changed forever and we're not going to go back to certain practices. Well, we don't necessarily know that, but probably true in many areas, but we can't predict the future. Um, all we can do is collect the present and then let other people gather in 20 or 30 years and say, oh, that's when that happened. That's when they finally got clean bathrooms. <laughs> what has been the biggest surprise in all of this for you? Because there have to have been things that just took you completely off guard. Well, first of all, that remote working worked as well as it has or seems to have. I've, I've always been a skeptic about that unless somebody was a peace worker and or a lawyer, you could count their hours that they spent doing something or, you know, tasks that was performed in, a, in an area where there's not anything necessarily tangible to be delivered. It's it's hard to, to manage remotely and feel like you're in charge in a traditional way. I think a lot of those prejudices and, are, are breaking down and that you're seeing people are actually very effective working remotely and can get a lot done. And I don't think it's we're at the end of the office yet because I, I do think that there's something about being able to have some camaraderie and be with other people and you can't accomplish a lot that way. And then there's a lot of your identity that way, but it won't be, it, it probably won't be the same. And if, if you could get a troglodyte like me to believe that remote working works, I mean, it must be you know really taken off 
It's interesting to think about how this moment will be perceived in terms of workforce by future generations. Lastly, because you are, you know, the head of an organization that that takes care to manage, you know, information about the past and use that, you know, as a form of education and as part of community building, I wonder what you're hoping we will all take away from this experience when it's part of our history. You know, what we try to do at the Atlanta History Center is connect people, history, and culture. And what we're trying to do is to let people get some perspective, connectivity to their own community and some people's other ideas, and connect them to the city somehow through history. I think what this pandemic has shown is that we're really all connected together in so many ways and and that we really need to understand that you know in terms it's it's biological it's spatial you know what's with these you know the the virus shows how interconnected we are and how dependent we are on each other and that we can't just you know all drive into our little cul-de-sacs and sit in our great room and ignore each other and we that we actually have to come out onto the street and 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 be able to interact with each other in a positive way that shows that we respect the fact that somebody else is entitled to be there as well. It's not just about us. And I think like a lot of people are going to learn that from this pandemic. But, you know, people have a way of learning things and quickly forgetting them. This is true. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That will be a lesson that sticks. Sheffield, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Um, and thank you always to the History Center for all the amazing work you guys do. I love that place. So I'm always, always happy. And it's always a treat to talk to everybody from there. We'll be back soon. Yeah. The second interview is with Michael Rose, Chief Mission Officer and Executive Vice President for Collections and Exhibitions. So first off, will you tell us exactly what it is you do at the Atlanta History Center? I have the title of Chief Mission Officer and Executive Vice President for Collections and Exhibitions. And what I like to tell people is I get to do the fun stuff. So as Mission Officer, I'm involved with the mission of the organization, which is uh, everything from historic gardens to our research center, all of our collections, be that photographs or documents, artifacts, three-dimensional objects, living collections like the gardens and the animals at Smith Farm. And we develop the product as it were, for the public and that can be exhibitions and a wide variety of other visitor experiences but that's why i say i get to do the fun stuff i work with very creative people uh, very dedicated in conducting research and developing what that experience is going to be so right now you are heading up a really interesting project which is why i wanted to talk to you today called the corona collective will you tell us what that is the mission of the institution is to uh, collect, preserve, interpret, and provide access to the stuff of history. And so much of the focus of historical agencies like the Atlanta History Center is often seen as acquiring historical, quote unquote, artifacts that in one sense may already be understood as being 
old by people and family photographs, business records, and artifacts associated normally with a, a variety of people, places, and, of, and events. And many people see these in relationship to collecting in order to document large events, such as the Vietnam War, the Olympic Games, or to document significant social change like the civil rights movement, the suffrage movement, or you know, quote unquote, gay rights. And, and in addition, institutions also collect uh, the more mundane items, documenting the sort of essence of the, of the daily life. And these are artifacts that are the most ephemeral and to what extent one thinks about their importance in understanding what it means to really live in a moment in time. And these are the things that are normally uh, disposed of because they're used up and, and thrown away. And so uh, looking at this particular point in time, we have uh, a large event happening now that, and, and I think everybody agrees, will signify a social change. We're living in a new world, right? So uh, we look at this as an opportunity to conduct contemporary collecting. And that in a sense is predicting the future because instead of, instead of collecting what's old, we're collecting what we think the future will think is old. <laughs> and that can be uh, difficult. So you, you attempt to do it in a way that um, somebody in the future can make a decision. You, you tend to over collect in order to ensure that you have the adequate material that somebody in the future in a number of years can determine whether or not something actually does have cultural significance in some way. At, at this moment in time, what we decided to do was uh, this Corona Collective uh, is crowd collecting. And because in one aspect, we can't go out ourselves as staff of the Atlanta History Center to fulfill our mission to collect the cultural material of our community. So we're looking upon the community to help us do that. And so we established this online. It's, it's at atlantahistorycenter.com, Corona Collective, um, to allow uh, the public to upload material in a variety of formats onto our website to help us collect the material in this moment in time. And I think that the one thing is that looking on this because mobile devices are what we live with. And, and what I was telling one person was that isolated as we are at this moment in time with the pandemic, that those mobile devices are how we are communicating one to another through a variety of virtual platforms to have meetings and with our, our phones to take photographs and to communicate with friends through a variety, again, of online platforms like Facebook and Instagram and, and others. And so, as I said to somebody, this is, this is how I live. This is how I communicate. This is how I survive. Because at this moment in time, it's, it's that social media. It's that, that social mobile platform 
that allows us to reconnect to the world from this isolated pandemic space that we're all in, right? And we can use all of that material that everybody is living with to document what's happening. And so we're providing a platform on our website for people to upload this material to help us document, like I say, this moment in time, this pandemic. And so that's what the Corona Collective is. It's crowd collecting for contemporary collecting um, in, in order to document life as it is right now. And that includes quote unquote major things like that you would think of such as the restrictions by state and local governments and things like that. But it's also, it's that what I refer to as that mundane documentation of our daily lives. It's, um, well, let me just say that this is, this is the, the online component is, is only part of the initiative. Because in addition to that, the staff is still going out on their own, social distancing and wearing masks, to document this uh, with their own mobile devices and, and in other ways, and collecting artifacts that we know that we want to keep. So we're keeping a list of those artifacts that we can collect now, that we can collect after the restrictions are lifted and we're able to get out again. And um, we're, we're also asking certain individuals in different um, professions or fields uh, to document their experiences as well. Um, my niece is a nurse in a hospital. Uh, I have a nephew who is a firefighter. So we're talking to first responders and asking them to specifically document their experiences. We have one young man who was an intern at the Atlanta History Center, and he had been called up to the National Guard and assigned to Charlotte to help locate uh, possible sites in Charlotte for temporary hospitals. So he is documenting his experience as well. But in, in this collecting, getting, getting back to the mundane, the mundane part, I, I joke with someone about, you know, at some point there will be an exhibition about all of this. And I can, I can, I can envision in this, this gallery space at the Atlanta History Center, the display case with the, uh, the bonnet, the glass bonnet on top of it. And inside with the light shining out from above uh, is a roll of toilet paper, because that is, that, <laughs> is one of, that is one of the symbolic items of, of this, a bottle of hand sanitizer, homemade masks. Uh, these are the sorts of things that we're thinking about collecting because they are so symbolic of what we're all living with right now. Oh, that sounds actually kind of amazing. And I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm picturing someone from the future stumbling into that section of a display and just being like, toilet paper? What is this about? Um, but boy, has it been an important part of this experience for a lot of people. Uh, and you're right, it is a symbol of all of this that we don't necessarily think of in that way. Everyone's concerned about having it, but we really don't think about how that is going to be a touchstone of the descriptors of this many, many years from now. You mentioned that that your staff is going out and, you know, practicing safe safe practices, but collecting artifacts. What kind of artifacts are they collecting? Well, they are they are actually collecting the toilet paper 
and the hand sanitizers. You know, we're lucky in Atlanta to have a series of uh, distilleries. And so I don't know if you're aware, but some of the distilleries in town have uh, turned to making hand sanitizers from the alcohol that they have at their at their disposal. And so they're they're putting the that hand sanitizer that they're creating into pump bottles and they're branding them with their distillery name. And so we're collecting <laughs> we're collecting that sort of that sort of artifact. And I I had I do have one staff member. She didn't have to leave her house to collect this because she had it in her house. And she has promised to donate the teddy bears that she placed in her window. That are you aware of the? Yeah, that that placing teddy bears because that activity in neighborhoods is something that kids can get out of the house and go around, and it becomes a hunt to find the teddy bears. Right? Other people have been putting, uh, you know, homemade paper hearts in their windows and things like that. So that's that's the sort of thing that at this point in time we're we're looking to collect. Uh, in addition to uh, creating a larger list of, of what we might be looking for as, as well that we can't access at this point in time. Now, you also mentioned um, specifically like that you're documenting our, our local and state uh, you know, government advisories, et cetera. I know there are other institutions doing similar projects. Has there been any discussion with the Atlanta History Center, with other institutions about sharing this kind of information or creating a more massive collective? Or do you think there will be at some point, you know, some cooperative effort to combine these things to make a fuller picture of life in the U.S.? We're certainly aware of the larger effort by other institutions to also document the coronavirus pandemic. And those are all being done in, in a variety of, of ways. I'm, I'm aware of the Historic New Orleans collection is, is using an automated uh, system to collect tweets. And so they have advised people to uh, use, a, use a particular hashtag so that they, it would be easier for their system to identify and collect those for their system. Um, other institutions are asking people to simply um, send them a, an email and let them know what they have and, and let the staff contact them again. Um, the Indiana Historical Society is doing something very similar to what we're doing in allowing the public to upload a variety of formats. Uh, for digital content, um, we've at this point in time we've received about close to 150 individual donations and over 400 digital files, and that can be everything from um, a, a written document uh, that is uploaded, and that can be a description from somebody who has who has suffered from the virus or someone who is caring for somebody who is suffering from the virus to uh, poetry and other formats and videos um, and photographs. So it's been a, a wide variety of, of content that, that we have been receiving. There's not a, an essential coordinated effort between institutions 
Um, I, I don't think at this particular point in time that any of us are competing one against another. We, we do try to talk to other institutions in the Atlanta area to ensure sometimes that if we're collecting in a particular subject area, or if you think of a, a community or neighborhood, that we're not competing in some way. But I don't think at this particular point in time with, with this subject matter, with, with the corona, that we're competing in, in any way. But I think that it, in the future, if there's ever an effort to for us, for us or other institutions to have programming, certainly with exhibitions um, and with, with developing other product, as I refer to it, for the visitor experience, there's always the opportunity to find out what somebody else has and to borrow um, that for an exhibition or access uh, photographs or you know textual content or something like that to, to add it to whatever we're doing. Very cool. What is going to happen to all of these materials once they're submitted? The Corona Collective on our website is, as I, as I mentioned, is one part of a larger initiative to document the Corona virus pandemic. The material that's uh, supplied online by the public uh, is uploaded and there's a, we, we have to go through the technical aspects. There's a release form that everybody has to complete and anyone under 18 has to have uh, permission signed by, by parents. Um, anything that's uploaded uh, becomes the property of the Atlanta History Center uh, allow us to use. And we don't, we don't guarantee to, uh, to use or save absolutely everything, but it, it does become uh, part of the collection of the Atlanta History Center. And in, in two ways, we preserve that for our own use in exhibition or online content, as well as as part of our research collection, also making that available to the public to be able to access, to use for research or other methods. So that if somebody was using, uh, if somebody was creating a documentary about the pandemic uh, and they were looking at Atlanta, they could come to the Atlanta History Center, they could review these materials, and they could possibly use any of this content in creating a documentary. And I just, I use that as just one example of how uh, the public uh, might be able to access this material and use it themselves, working with the Atlanta History Center in, in some format, in addition to the History Center using it uh, as, as a, the institution. So I have to ask, do you have a favorite item that has been submitted so far? <laughs> that's, um, that's, the, that's the hard one because they're, they're all great. Um, just getting the submissions has been, I have been, has been rewarding that the people are doing this. And frankly, we've been very, very pleased with the response that this has, uh, this has received. One thing that we haven't received yet is that we are working with a local school and the students have been assigned a project to create their own uh, digital journals to be able to supply. Uh, we haven't received those yet, but um, I think up to 60 students um, have been tasked with, with doing this. I look forward to seeing that. I, I think that at this point in time, probably the thing that was most moving 
for me was one of the very earliest uh, donations that we received. And, and that was simply the story of a woman who had the virus. And, and she just, she discussed the difficulty she had in obtaining uh, medical assistance in, in getting um, uh, a test to find out if she actually had the virus. And then, and then her description of suffering through it. And she recovered and uh, supplied this to us. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a moving document to read and to, to understand the loneliness of, of this. And that's an, another aspect that my niece, who I mentioned earlier is a nurse and her discussion of the fact that people are dying alone and she has to be there and help those people because family and friends can't be there with them in this pandemic and how difficult that is for people to suffer through. It's interesting because I wonder if all of these people who contribute, surely they have some sense of it, but if they really realize how incredibly important and meaningful all of this is going to be down the road when these are really like the the truest words you could speak are those of someone experiencing a moment. It's fascinating to me. And I hope they understand the gravity of just contributing. Well, I hope, I hope they do. Um, the, the fact that they are taking that effort to make this documentation to help us with this is meaningful. I, th I think that one aspect, again, is that the fact that these are the voices of the people who are living at this moment in time. And so many people think of history as being names, dates, and places <laughs> and events. Um, and it's not about memorizing those facts. It's about understanding how people lived and, it's, and the relevance of that to our lives today. Uh, having more voices that can represent that experience uh, just adds to the complexity and understanding of history. And so, yes, this will be in the past and somebody in the future will be making a decision about what to keep or not to keep from our contemporary collecting. But they'll have a wealth of material to choose from, from a wide variety of people. And I think that's a very important aspect. So last question, do you stay pretty uh, objective about it? Or do you have a hope of how all of this will be seen in 100 years, 150 years, et cetera? Do you think about the legacy of the work you're doing right now? Or is that too heady? <laughs> I, um, that's a hard one. That's, Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I think about, in one aspect, I think, I think about this as it's my job. And so I, I do it. It's, but that's not to say that it becomes a, uh, a, a humdrum daily um, exertion or, or something, because what we do we understand the people that I work with that it's a mission and it's cause. And I, th I think that despite the day-to-day the, the -day aspects of a, of a job, we know that the job we're doing is rewarding and we know that it serves a purpose 
Let me give one example, and that's from our Veterans History Project, which is an ongoing oral history project that we have in documenting uh, the experience of uh, veterans in a variety of conflicts. And obviously one of those is World War II. And at this point in time, um, so many of the veterans from World War II are dying. And so we are we're working diligently at this point in time to document as many as we can. We have had um, a few experiences recently in which some veterans who had been um, interviewed in the last few years had passed away. And we have received communication from family members, uh, children, grandchildren, who then uh, came across the recordings because the veterans get a copy of their, their interview. And we get that response from, from family members about how much that means to them. To have that voice telling that story. And so um, we work at this day to day, but, but we understand the importance of it. And I can tell you, it, it's, it's a very rewarding job that we do. So. so one day people will be talking about the remaining people who lived through this moment in time. And we'll have this amazing collective that you guys have put together. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for sitting with me today and being so patient with all of our technical issues and uh, just being a delight and sharing your knowledge with us. It's really important. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. One of the really unique aspects of this set of interviews is how both Sheffield and Michael spoke about the social change that was likely to come from living through the pandemic. But of course, little did any of us know when we were having these talks that just weeks away was an entirely different and very profound moment of potential for social change. So it is almost a, a historically interesting thing in terms of looking at recent history because we see how quickly our mindset shifted from focusing on this one thing to a whole other set of things that now are compounding together. So thanks again to the Atlanta History Center and to Sheffield and Michael for taking the time with Holly uh, and to Howard Pausner, who's their manager of media relations, who helped Holly get these talks arranged and scheduled. You can check out what's happening currently at the Atlanta History Center at atlantahistorycenter.com. And you can participate in their crowdsourced Corona Collective by visiting uh, atlantahistorycenter.com slash research slash corona dash collective. And the History Center has also been doing some really good virtual programming uh, throughout the shutdown. If you are listening to this episode on the day it comes out, which is June 15th, 2020, there is actually a virtual talk scheduled tonight with Stacey Abrams that is sure to be really amazing. Uh, if you want to get in on that, go to their page and search for it. I think it's on their front page right now. You do have to make an online purchase of her new book to get access to that event. That's kind of like what your ticket becomes. Uh, and you end up getting a signed book, I think, in the mail. But uh, check that out for more details. And again, I super want to thank Howard and Sheffield and Michael all for helping us put together this picture. It's um, I am very excited at the prospect of their exhibit with a, a roll of toilet paper front and center with a spotlight on it <laughs> that Michael talked about. Um, I also have listener mail, which is related. 
Uh, and this listener didn't really want me to necessarily mention their name. They said that they were shy, but they wanted to bring to our attention a cool project that is going on. I will read their email in part, and hopefully that will be cool, uh, and they will not mind. Uh, they write, longtime listener, first-time writer. Thank you so much for keeping us informed and entertained during this challenging time. I was really excited to hear you discuss the Corona Collective Project at the Atlanta History Center because there is a similar COVID-19 journaling project at the Wisconsin Historical Society, uh, which this person has some connections to. And uh, they write, I know that museums and historical societies around the world have similar projects in the work right now. And I feel so proud and inspired by how historians, archivists at all are using their resources to keep people engaged and help document history as it happens. So uh, there's more to this letter. But as I said, they didn't want to um, <laughs> really be called out for it. But I want to make sure that anyone who is listening checks out wisconsinhistory.org. Uh, if you want to go to their COVID-19 Big History landing page, that is wisconsinhistory.org slash happening. Uh, and then you can also search around on their site because they also have a journal project that's going on as well as a poster project that's going on that you can check out. And it's really, really cool. Um, you know, Michael also mentioned uh, an effort going on in New Orleans we mentioned when we talked about all of this before, like, check out your local history museums who are probably doing similar things or their historical societies that probably have similar projects in the works. And make sure that you participate if you want to, because this is going to be a really cool thing for future historians and researchers to have access to so that they know what regular people were actually thinking and doing as they lived through all of this. Yeah. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. You can also find us everywhere on social media as Missed in History. And uh, if you would like to subscribe to the show, we would be delighted to have you. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.